So today, tonight, whatever, uh, we continue and, and conclude a little mini-series, a little two-week thing. Um, I, I share that in part to say thanks. I wasn't, I mean, okay, I was to a degree trying to set up the, uh, shall we call it the unique call to worship at the start when I said, you guys, let me try weird things. Uh, but you do. And, and I have to say that I really feel like that has been such a gift to me. And, and the sermon that I preached last week and this one is one that I've just wanted to for a while. And I, again, I just I feel uh, invited to do those kinds of things in, in ways that I just really get excited about. Um, so I say that in part to say thank you. Um, I also want to point uh, to last week's in part because there's some connection. And if you if you've always been intrigued by doubting Thomas or where doubt falls in our uh, walk of faith, um, then I would, uh, I would invite you to check that out because I think doubting Thomas has a powerful message for us. And also just to say that as our passage opens tonight, it begins with the words, after these things. And sometimes the ways that we break down passages, we're not always clear on well, what are we talking about. And for what it's worth, after these things is quite literally, in this case, the end of John 20, which is the passage that we spent time in last week. So I think it's not unintentional that the connection of the scene that we explore tonight is in a part connected or moves from where we were last week. But here with me, or read along if you'd like, John chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He showed Himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to Him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. 
The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to them, to him, follow me. Would you pray with me? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to sin, to brokenness, to leave you behind. And yet you meet us where we are, again and again, with love and promise. And so, God, as we consider yet another moment of this truth, this promise, I pray that you would speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So the truth is, this is a long passage, but even if it wasn't, there is so much happening here. Um, There is the, the miracle of the big catch. All these fish, 153, I can't even tell you how many pages and bottles of ink have been spilled trying to figure out exactly what 153 means. Um, And then, of course, it mirrors the call of Peter and of James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, and all of them are here. There's John's choice of language. When he says, when Jesus says, feed my sheep, it is a relatively unique word for sheep. It doesn't just mean sheep. It means a broader array of livestock, which to me may imply that that in the call to feed my sheep that he gives to Peter and the forming of the church is to expand it beyond those sheep that we're more comfortable caring for. There's the ongoing care that Jesus, the Messiah, is offering in this meal to his followers and the parallels and even the, the outright act that we continue to this very day in the sacrament of communion. There, there's the, the presence of Thomas. Thomas, who is there with him, which, which further indicates to me that the, his moniker, Doubting Thomas, or the very real challenge of doubt that he thankfully examples for us, is shown yet again as something that does not remove him from faithfulness or from being in the presence of the disciples, or Jesus. And, of course, there's one of my favorite scenes of Peter in all of Scripture, who, in his excitement to be near Jesus, once he hears that he's on the shore, he lets nothing delay him from being near him, except to put on some clothes. Thank you for that, Peter. And then jumps out of the boat so he can swim to shore. I got to tell you guys, and I've said this before, I love Peter. If I'm allowed to have one, I declare it officially, he is my favorite disciple. (laughs) 
Not because he's the rock on which Jesus says he will build his church. Not even because of how instrumental and wonderful he was in the, in the receipt of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and in the forming of the early church, but because Peter is unabashedly Peter. <laughs> I happened to read a devotion um, a little over a month ago by another pastor. Her name is Marilyn Pagan Banks, and I just felt like she described Peter especially well. So I, I made a note of it. This is what she writes. Peter wasn't afraid to ask questions, to take chances, or to risk sounding dumb. He spoke up, sometimes out of turn and way too soon. He was ambitious, curious, and sometimes unclear. At times he was brave and protective, and other times he was afraid and chose his own safety. All the while, Peter never gave up trying, working, and seeking to be true to his calling. Peter loved Jesus deeply. It is on this love, faithfulness, and determination that the church was founded. I love that description of Peter. It speaks to his passion and the ways that it was lived out, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, but passion and faithfulness and determination that God worked through. And so what I'd love to dive into tonight, if you'll pardon the pun, is the, the conversation that Peter has with Jesus after they have shared breakfast. Jesus pulls him aside and they, it says they are talking alone. And it's, it's a really unique conversation in no small part because it feels harsh. I mean, it feels hard and, and, and almost accusatory. And to be blunt, I, I've had someone say to me, is Jesus just being a jerk here? And I, I, yeah, we laugh at that, but we also wonder, is that what's happening? Because in addition to an understandable frustration from Peter, as Jesus asks him the same question three times, it's almost like Jesus is intentionally mirroring a recent threefold denial that Peter made. You may recall what I mean, right? In John 13, Jesus tells Peter that you will deny me three times before the cock crows. And then in John 18, while Jesus is on trial and Peter, trying to keep a low profile nearby, is asked three times if he is one of Jesus' disciples. Didn't we see you with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? And he denies it three times. And here's the thing, if that's, if that's not enough for you, if, if Jesus' triple ask isn't a concrete enough connection, let me offer one more that I think that we are, these are intentionally connected, and it's this. It's one word, anthrakia. Anthrakia is the Greek word that we translate in verse 9 as a charcoal fire. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Here's the thing. That's a unique word and a unique kind of fire. And it is a description, a word that is used only twice in all of Scripture. Anybody want to guess when the other one was? It was in John 18. 
John 18, verse 18 says this, Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing round it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. And that's the scene, that's the setting where Peter denies Jesus, standing around the anthracia, the charcoal fire. The connection of this conversation between Jesus and Peter, I'm not just going to say it's concrete. I think it's intentional. I think Jesus choosing to ask three times nearing the, near the heat of another charcoal fire is meant to allow Peter to recall that moment of denial. And can you imagine? Can you imagine what Peter must think in that moment? His response? The shame and disappointment that he is likely carrying for denying Jesus brought up fresh, not just as he sees him on the shore once more, not just as he is being fed by him but once more, but as the, the warmth and the sight and the smell of this charcoal fire so near that just cooked their breakfast reminds him of that night, takes him back to that fateful and disappointing moment. Now, here's a question some of you might be asking. Why in the world is Ben trying so hard to connect these two events? And I wanted to tell you, that's the wrong question. Okay, good. So, the right question <laughs> is why is Jesus? Why is Jesus connecting these two things? Because I, I got to tell you, I, I, I think it's intentional because all those things that I just said, they're there. They connect Peter and us to the story of his denial. But I think just as important, and maybe even more so, is what is not there. There is no disappointment. There is no admonishment. There is no punishment. There is no alteration or tweaking or removal of the call that God has placed on Peter's life. We might read this as I would imagine Peter's initial response did, that this, that this intentional reminder of Peter's denial as harsh and cruel, but actually I think it is a beautiful and powerful expression of the depths of God's love, an example that God's love doesn't shy away even in the midst of Peter's darkest moment. You've heard me say before, and I've intentionally said it in this service, so I can say that definitively, that God meets us where we are. And this is, this is what I mean by that. That God's love meets Peter right where he is, even in darkness and disappointment and denial, and, and says to him, I know. I know about it. And I know that you love me. And so my call to you, feed my sheep, I still give my presence with you, my love for you, I still give, and I always will. I know about the denial. Look, I set up this whole thing, maybe not the whole thing, but I set this up so we could be reminded of it, and I'm still here. I choose to be here. Or as Paul says in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, to me, is a beautiful concrete example that nothing can separate us, even our darkest moments. Jesus reminded Peter of his denial not to shame him, but to release him from his shame, not to make him feel bad, but to remind him that God's love for him is not interrupted even by the event of his denial. 
Think again, uh, just here again, I should say, with this quote with me that, that was offered by the, um, in the devotion I read. Peter wasn't afraid to ask questions, to take chances, to risk sounding dumb. He spoke up, sometimes out of turn and way too soon. He was ambitious and curious and sometimes unclear, and at times he was brave and protective, and at other times he was afraid and chose his own safety. All the while, Peter never gave up trying, working, and seeking to be true to his calling. I look out, I know many of you are ambitious and curious. Some of you are are brave and protective, and some of you at times feel yourself uh, fearful and choose your own safety and security. And you know what? God says, I know. (laughs) I still come to you. I still call you. I still want you to be a part of the kingdom work in the world. And this is why. Because you also choose to love me. And it says, this quote ends that I I shared. It says, Peter loved Jesus deeply, and it is on this love, faithfulness, and determination that the church was founded. And I think that's right, but I think it's missing one thing, and it's this. Peter loved Jesus deeply, and Jesus loved Peter deeply. Jesus loves us so deeply that even in the glow of a charcoal fire, We can feel that love. His curiosity, his risky and awkward behaviors, these didn't make him any less of a disciple. His his off-putting attempts at bravery or self-serving moments of fear did not separate him from God's love because God's love, God's grace and forgiveness doesn't shy away from ugliness. It doesn't, doesn't preclude God's call on Peter's life. And, praise God, not just for Peter, but for you and for me. God's love and grace and forgiveness, they don't have limits that are tested or strained by our brokenness. They don't get interrupted, and our need for forgiveness, our need for forgiveness doesn't lead to God reconsidering, calling us to be a part of God's kingdom. We believe we have been set free through grace, And if we've been set free and yet we continue to carry with us a shame that we feel proves we're somehow unworthy of God's love or purpose, first of all, I want to tell you I know what that's like. But the other thing I know is that's not from God. That's not from God. And we see that right here when Jesus names in a powerful way the very denial that Peter made. And says to him three times, feed my sheep. Because God meets us where we are. Even in the midst of our darkest moments. And says to us, yes, yes. Even you, even here, even now, you are my beloved child. So I pray that we would know that love. We would receive that love. And through it, Share the unique and unending gift of God's grace with others to feed them as we are fed. Amen.